we want to focus on verse 6 as we read through verse 6. And then we will turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We will not read all of the verses there this morning. We will simply read and focus on verses 4 and 5. But Titus chapter 1, 5 through 9, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Would you please stand with me one more time? This is the word of God. Let us give our hearts attention. It is the authoritative voice of God. Verse 5, chapter 1. For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or ruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men. Sober, just, holy, temperate. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now I would have you look at verse 6, the second half of verse 6. Having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 3, we will read verses 4 and 5. This speaks of a bishop, a man who would be bishop. He must be one that ruleth well his own house having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Amen. Please remain standing. We will unite our hearts in prayer. Father, we have read thy word, words of life. Thy precious son, Jesus, prayed for all his people. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. And Lord, thou dost love thy bride and dost wash her with the water of the word. Wilt thou do that this morning? Your bride is gathered. We're in the garden of delights. We are here awaiting the lover of our souls to come and to move in our hearts. Lord, if we're cold, warm us up. Father, if we are dull, sharpen us. If we are fuzzy or in darkness, shine the glorious light of thy truth. Lord, if we are confused, un confuse us. Help our hearts and minds to focus upon thee. Lord, if we are distracted, give us all a Holy Spirit wrought focus. Spirit of God, move here. Move in thy temple this morning. Lord, I do pray yet again for those that do not know thee. Only thou canst open the heart I ask in thy mercies 
that thou wouldst come to those who do not know thee, show them their wickedness and their need for Christ the Savior, and draw them, draw them out of darkness into the glorious light, into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And Father, for thy dear people, how I pray that their hearts would be lit with joy and love for Christ. I pray that thou wouldst fill us, fill us, fill us with that love that casts out fear. And Father, open our eyes, the eyes of our understanding. Give us clarity on a difficult and controversial passage. Give us understanding. Help me to speak plainly, to speak clearly, and through it all to bring glory unto thee and edification to thy blood-bought people. And we ask it all in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Christ Jesus calls upon his congregations to learn from his inspired, infallible word, the qualifications of an elder. This is not a little thing. It is vital for the spiritual health of any church at any time to know And understand the kind of man that will feed, lead, and discipline, guide, and protect them. We've been considering Paul's list of qualifications from 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And by his grace and mercy, and by the illumination... Of the Holy Spirit. We will now take up Christ's next requirement for elder, pastor, bishop, shepherd. They're the same office. Brethren, it's vital for us to take in. These are Christ's requirements. He's the head of the church. Paul was his mouthpiece. And he spoke by the power of God's Spirit, that which fills the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we want the Spirit of God to give us light this morning on some difficult, uh, some difficult verses and a little bit to wrestle through. Those of you that survived uh, talking about the one woman man, you should be able to survive today. I don't like... The technicalities sometimes, but it is, I think, essential for you to realize why brothers and sisters don't always agree on the same Bible. <clears throat> we have to understand what a word means in its context, not just how it sounds to us in the 21st century. <clears throat> well, that being the case, the uh, the title of the sermon this morning is Ruling well his own house ruling well his own house may the God of grace and mercy shower his people with blessings today fill them with grace may the blessed spirit of God shed abroad the love of God in our hearts may we leave this place today loving Christ and loving one another Well, we have one main thought, and we're going to try to unfold that. And it's this. A pastor after God's heart must rule his own house well. This is not an option. This is something, this is not something that we hope he just kind of grows into someday. His family is a testing ground. 
The interaction between the man and his family is essential. The Holy Spirit says so. A bishop must, must, must rule his house well. This does not mean that he will be perfect. It does not mean that all his children will end up being perfect. It certainly does not mean that because of struggles and wrestlings with certain children that he is no longer qualified. And as we will see, the important matter is how does a man deal with his family according to the word of God? So, we have seen previously that a man's faithfulness to his wife is a qualification for being an elder. For a bishop must be a one-woman man. His love for his wife should reflect Christ's command. Husbands, love your wives. Strange that that would have to be commanded, isn't it? But uh, whenever I do our marriage class, uh, most of you know, we begin the class by husband and wife standing together, holding their hands looking into each other's eyes, and this is one of those times when men go first. And they have to look at their crown and say, you married a sinner, and I'm yours for life. That's a reality. It may sound like a clever thought for some, but anybody that's been married for just a few years begins to realize how true that is. What our culture doesn't want is the second half. I'm yours for life. A candidate for elder must love his wife. Those that are elders must love their wives and they should reflect Christ's command. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Evidence of self-denying, listen carefully, evidence of self-denying, self-sacrificing love should be discernible. That's not something you always see right away. That's why you have to get to know someone. You don't just hear a guy say, oh, great, oh, wonderful, great sermon, let's make him a pastor. That's almost an American religious practice but it's unbiblical to the core how do you know someone loves his wife until you learn something about him and then there should be some discernible interaction among them that says i love this woman we also need to consider Paul's next qualification. When I say Paul's, of course, it's Christ's. One that ruleth well his own house. All right, so we're seeing that the family is a very serious matter in the life of someone who either desires or is an elder. One that ruleth well his house. Well, those are fighting words in most most areas today, including many, many, many portions of Christ's church. They hate the idea of a man ruling his house. They don't like the word rule to begin with, but especially with man in front of it. And I will tell you, one of the reasons that that is the case It's because men are the problem. Men that think that women are the problem. What we used to say in Louisiana, you got your hat on backwards. But that's that's been a, uh, a part of our culture now for many years. So uh, you're confused and you cannot possibly be reading the scriptures correctly. 
You've been appointed by God to be the head of your home and you are to guide your home. You are to love your home and you are to discipline your home according to the word of God. If you're not doing that, you are not man-wise biblical. This cannot be overlooked. One that ruleth. That sounds warm, right? One that ruleth his house. So, he must not only govern his home. There are people that are not Christians where they have dads that run the ship. I don't know many of them today, but I used to know lots of non-Christian men in my neighborhood that governed their homes. But the Holy Spirit puts in a very important qualifier. Well, he must govern his home well. And that definition for well has to be filled out by the word of God. We don't have time, actually, to to do all of that today, but I can summarize it. So, the apostle follows this focus, having his children in subjection with all gravity, he follows that with this reason for ruling well. For if a man know not how to rule his own home, how, big word, how shall he take care of the church of God? This, I mean, I am looking at God's property. Jesus bought the regenerate souls here. They're his, not mine, or any 100 elders and pastors that come behind me. This is Christ's, Christ's possession. So how I speak, when I speak, what I speak, I will give account for. You don't play with God's people. You love them. You edify them. That love may include rebuke. But even then, you can do that sinfully. So, if a man doesn't know how to rule his own home, how shall he take care of the church of God? And of course, the answer is simple. Paul isn't wondering. Paul's not looking for information from us. His very question and the way he puts it means he can't. Not qualified. No matter how wonderful a person he may be. No matter how wonderful a sermon he can preach. He can still be a great blessing to God's people. But an elder has to govern his home well. So, the way in which a man governs his wife and his children indicates how he will deal with Christ's bride and Christ's children. Christ's elder provides for the spiritual, emotional, and temporal needs Of his family. He will have to do the same. Spiritually. For Christ's family. There's a testing. And a training ground for that. His household. That brings us to this thought. Christ's requirement. Of ruling well. In 1 Timothy 3, 4. Christ's requirement of ruling well in 1 Timothy 3, 4 is our next thought. This qualification appeals once again to a man's household. For a bishop must be, for those of you who have not been with us, that word must means there's not any other option. This, This doesn't have, well, what if attached to it. It must be. 
one that ruleth his own house well. The Greek word translated rule actually has several shades of meaning. First, let's consider the meaning of ruling. Let uh, Let me say what it does not mean first. It does not mean rule in the sense of domineering, overbearing, or tyrannical. It means to exercise a position of leadership, rule, be at the head of. It also bears the notion of caring for. That's an important part of the nuance, of the shade. It's caring for. That's one of the reasons shepherd is one of the titles for an elder. So leadership, it's exercising a a position of leadership. It isn't just having the title. (laughs) It's living the title. It does mean rule. It means to be the head of something. We used to talk about the head of the home. That is verboten in many churches today. Sad to say it. So, this idea of caring brings a very important aspect into that notion. Caring, applying oneself to. In other words, expending yourself for someone. That sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? That's exactly why we take our time with these things. All of these characteristics should be in the lives of Christians because an elder is simply the Lord's representative. He must be apt to teach. The deacons are not required to be apt to teach. But that's the one thing that's not required of all Christians. All the rest of it is what we're supposed to be. Because God's eternal purpose in Christ is to make us like Christ, whom he did foreknow. He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the end goal. That's exactly what gathering in churches, learning to walk in Christ's community according to his word is about. We are all his work. And he's making us, should be, making us more and more like Christ himself. So, in that applying oneself too, we see the image of a shepherd authoritatively leading and feeding, directing and correcting Christ's blood-bought sheep. We see this in the life of our beloved Lord. He could say to his disciples on one hand, ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for I am. You are correct when you call me Lord. Yet he could also say, I am among you as one that serveth. Another way of saying this is that a pastor must reflect the character of the living God he serves. There should be a family resemblance. And I know with all of us, it's faint, but it's there. Paul said to the believers at Rome, behold... Therefore, the goodness and severity of God. Now, if, if we get either one of those as the main and forget it, forget the other one, uh, we will become extraordinarily imbalanced. The goodness, praise the Lord, we like that part, and the severity of God. They are both the character of God. When you see his judgments on his own people throughout the Old Testament, 
People say, oh, that's the Old Testament. How about Ananias and Sapphira that were killed on the spot for lying to the Holy Spirit? How about Paul saying, you know, some of y'all are so abusing the Lord's Supper that some of you are dead. Behold the goodness, Christ Jesus. He gave his son for us. And the severity. You can't live in rebellion without consequences. So a biblically qualified pastor must be gentle, but he's not only gentle. He must wield thunder and lightning, but it can't always be thunder and lightning. You can't do that. A holy balance between the two should be obvious. Therefore, a congregation must see some evidence of Spirit-qualified, God-appointed, leading, protecting, and caring for God's people. <clears throat> and that is seen first in his own home. That summarizes ruling well his own house. <clears throat> Leading, spirit-qualified, God-appointed, leading, protecting, and caring. If he's doing that according to the word of God, there will be some fruit in his home. The same requirement is laid upon deacons. Ruling their children and their own houses well. So, let's consider the focus of ruling well. Paul goes on to write, Having his children in subjection with all gravity. <clears throat> That's easier said than done, right? A father's spiritual condition and the strengths and weaknesses of his character affect the whole house. Let me repeat that. A father's spiritual condition, and that's the most important one. Oh, he's a good provider. That's good, but that's not the most important thing. A father's spiritual condition and the strengths and weaknesses of his character, and we all have them, affect the entire house. He must wield his authority with humility. He must be firm. He must learn how to be gentle. A lot of men are not good at that. Here's the paycheck. What else do you want? Love you. Here's a kiss. That's, it's more than that. We do agree on that, don't we? I sure hope so. It's not just the breadwinner. It's the Christ lover. It is the Christ exalting head. That's the most important part of the family. He is the representative of the Lord Jesus Christ in his home. That's why when he becomes mature in governing his own house... He's ready to take on the Lord's house. Without that training, without knowing how to guide his own home, he will never get guiding God's people right. Not going to happen. He's such a great guy. That's wonderful. But that doesn't put him into the leadership of the congregation. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> there must be gentleness Love, affection, so strong that the children know it even when he must chasten them. It should be something that they don't want to lose. They don't want the relationship with dad separated. I urge you to read the autobiography of John G. Payton. The relationship with his father, I in every generation, every year, I've got to talk about him some. 
You need to read that and see the hook that he had in his children's minds, in their hearts, because of his extraordinary love. And in time, as the children got older, they did not want to violate that loving relationship. Is that not what God does with us? When we're thinking right? When we fail, are we waiting for him just to send the lightning bolt? Or do we realize that he gave his only begotten son and washed away all our crimes against him in the blood of Jesus? There needs to be a love so big that we're fearful of violating it. I mean, any man, as long as his children are, you know, below his knees, any man can make his children afraid enough to do everything he says. But that's not what we're talking about. That is not what God does with us. Are we sensing the importance of this? <coughs> At least I, I, let me press on, see if I can... <clears throat> Dig a little deeper into our minds and hearts. He must bring up his children in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. Once again, there's one of those kind of hard and soft comparisons. <clears throat> we want to nurture them. We want to provide for them the things that they need. <coughs> but we also need to be ready to warn them. And those warm warnings very often need some severity with them at least it needs enough discipline that they know when they say <laughs> when dad gets a particular look on his face or even mom it's like all right you know what's coming next right yes they should know that they should know where the limits are your children from the time they are born need to be brought up in your thinking with where the boundaries are until they get older. And the problem with many in our day, including many Christians, is, oh, well, you know, just let them be children. Yeah, just let them be kids. You know, just do that. And then they become teenagers. And at that moment, parents clamp down. You've got it backwards. It's too late. You... Uh, as one author says, they need to grow up in a tyrannized police state. There should be boundaries and they should know the boundaries and those boundaries need to be backed up. That should always be with grace. It should always be wise. It should always be with love, not just because you're mad. If you just, if you just discipline them when you're angry, I will tell you exactly what you teach them. Don't get him angry. And that's it. They will not sense that they've sinned against God. They just start playing the game. Dad's not in a great mood today. Don't do this or that. All right? That's not love. This is not love. A father, our God gave us very clear boundaries throughout the Old and the New Testament. It's clear that because we're sinners, we need boundaries. And so as we begin to grow, some of the boundaries should be expanding so that as they get older and older, there are fewer restrictions, not none. There's usually still some home restrictions, but there should be fewer restrictions than when they were little. Waiting for the teenage years is a losing game. So, <clears throat> this father must make clear that there's only one will in the house. God's will. Represented by dad. God's will. Not necessarily dad's will. <clears throat> When he starts making certain kinds of laws that are outside of harmony with the scriptures, there's a, there's a place for a reasonable appeal. <clears throat> the fact of the matter is, 
for those little children, mom and dad are the first representatives of God. And they must know that in love. So, this father will be faulty. He will be limited as a real representative of God's authority. But that's still what he's called to do. It's just like every pastor. Every pastor doesn't make 100% on the qualifications list. But every pastor should have that list at least identifiable in him as he's working. So, thirdly, the reason for ruling well, the reason for ruling his wife and his children in the love of Christ, by the word of Christ, by faith in Christ, and by the information of God's word. This is what he's to do. And here's the reason for it. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? As we've previously seen, a pastor both serves and rules. He serves and rules. This is exactly what we see in the Lord Jesus Christ in, in the passages I just read. Or that I read uh, minutes ago. Now we, we hear this in 1 Timothy 5.17, the word rule, and we want to look at it at, at, at several, in several passages. 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders that rule well, there's the word, Rule well, same word in Greek. Rule well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. This is the command of Christ, the head of the church. <clears throat> He's acknowledging elders and elders that rule well. We see it in Romans chapter 12, verse 8. He that ruleth with diligence. Now that verse is in the context that points to elders. Teaching, ministering. <clears throat> we see it again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. He says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. And admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. It takes the Holy Spirit to do that one. It takes the Holy Spirit to do them all. But some of them are a bigger difficulty for the flesh. It doesn't say, okay, I beseech you, brethren... Learn how to tolerate this guy. You don't have that option. By the Spirit of God, you have to love me. Pastor Clarence was easy to love. But let me say to you, <clears throat> Paul is saying something that all of us need to take in. Look at the two words, over you in the Lord. Can that be abused? Of course. That's why a man must be accountable to the body that he serves. He's not infallible, won't be in this world. But notice, those which labor among you, they're among you. They're not sitting on a throne somewhere. They're not... Oh, I can't go around the peons. They're among the people. And they're learning those people. As Pastor Martin used to say, you've got to get your fingers down into the sheep's wool. It's exactly right. If it's just, oh, I just want to come hear my sermon and then go home and live the way I want to. That's not Christianity. I'm telling you, it's not. It's not even close. It's a community that grows. It is a living temple 
in the Holy Spirit. There are living stones here in which Almighty God dwells. We are in union with Him that sits at the right hand of the Father. And when all the stones are gathered and we're filled with God's Spirit, He's getting glory. Do you realize that we're doing warfare when we do that? When we stand here and sing words that are in harmony with the Word of God and bring glory to Him, not just the latest thing that is a toe-tapper. It's not that kind of thing. We are at war and we're warring by being here, by singing to God instead of the devil, by glorifying God instead of the demons or ourselves. We are here in a way that we unite with the Almighty and we resist the powers of darkness, and the kingdom of darkness. This is not the Boy Scouts. This is not just sitting here and going, okay, let's sing another song and put on the marshmallows. We are God's soldiers. You are a soldier when you come to worship. If you don't realize that, you're probably not worshiping very well. We beseech you, brethren, them that labor among you, they're among you, and they're over you. What an interesting way to put it. And the, the two words, over you, are the same word that we've been looking at, rule. That's the idea of an overseer. There's overseeing and there's amongness. It isn't sitting as if we were wonderful. It's getting down in the sheepfold and being with the sheep. The word know here, K-N-O-W, is important. It says, know them. Know them. Know the ones that are among you. The, in this case, it's the elder. To acknowledge, to respect, to honor. The words over you are Stunning here. <clears throat> and the last word is admonish, which means warning. They're among you. They're a person just like you. They fail. They're limited. Their flesh is still sinful. And they are tempted like crazy. The enemy will use every opportunity, especially when they're tired and worn down to throw every foul thing that, that hell can vomit up. I said, well, you, uh, Paul says, you, you need to know them and understand that they have a responsibility over you, not as lords, but as the representatives of Christ. <clears throat> and then you should take their warnings. I'll tell you what, modern Christians... Do not listen to warnings. They have a distorted and perverted notion of grace that actually lets them go out and live like the world. Warnings are all through the New Testament. When we get to Hebrews, should I last that long, you will see how many warnings God gives his blood-bought, grace-purchased people. It's not because he wants us to live in fear all the time. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to be Christian paranoids. But it does mean we're up against a foe who can tie us in a pretzel in about 30 seconds. Young people often think that, yeah, I, yeah, I know what's going on. Uh, yeah. Well, you don't understand the battle yet. The enemy knows how to take any thread you drop and weave it into a trap for you. So, <clears throat> warnings. These men should warn. Now, what is their work? For you to increase in Christ-likeness. That's our work. It's we can break it out into all kinds of ways. We can, we can take that, that stone, that piece of glass, and shoot a, a bright light in it and see it refract. Uh, take that prism 
and, and see all the different things that, that pastors are supposed to do. But the fact of the matter is, many of us only get stuck on preaching or some counseling when we're in trouble. We've got some problems. It's far more than that. <clears throat> it's preaching Christ's word in the power of Christ's spirit so that you're becoming day by day more like Christ. We're kind of out here and we need to be whittled down. We've got so much of the world hanging out upon us. We make it very difficult on ourselves sometimes. But the purpose of preaching is for you to become Christ-like. It isn't simply to affirm that God knows and loves you. And it is that. But why? Because you're now his son. You're now his daughter by faith in Christ. And his purpose is for you to be just like him by the time all this is over. Am I going to reach perfect in this world? No. (laughs) Can you grow in Christ's likeness? Yes. And you should. Read Pilgrim's Progress. Find out what happens when you take a nap at the wrong time. The aim of such, by the way, the, um, I picked up a, a thought here from the New International Dictionary of New Testament Theology and Exegesis. It's a long title. But it's a really helpful thought. Listen carefully. The aim of such a ministry the the pastor's ministry, is maturity in Christ. Everyone that professes to be a Christian here should be growing. If, if, If a mother has a beautiful little baby and it won't eat, something's wrong, right? Something's wrong. If, if that baby at 15 years old is still wearing a diaper and has to be changed. Hmm. There is something that needs to be looked into and to try to find out what the problem is because we would say, something's not right here. Brethren, let me ask you. Are you walking around in a diaper? When was the last time you were changed? We're to mature. Christ wants us to mature. Why do churches split? Because it's full of immature people who are being played by the powers of darkness. So, pastors are to see them increase in Christ's likeness. We want to feed you the word of God. Then we want you to believe the word of God. And then we want you to obey the word of God because this is what Christ says. (laughs) Not what we say. This goes on to say, Paul urges believers to acknowledge in a proper way their leaders who devote themselves to caring caring for the church and admonishing God's people. Admonition as a form of spiritual counseling. How about that? Warning someone is a form of spiritual counseling. is moreover the task of all believers toward one another. And it's, it's Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another while we're singing. It's one of the reasons what you sing matters. It needs to be the doctrine of Christ. It's got to be in harmony with the word of God. And we should be singing things that don't take us away from Christ, but things that... Focus, make us focus on the glory and the beauty and the love of Christ. That's what we should have. So he's saying, you know, it's the task of all believers ultimately to admonish one another. We ought to know the word of God well enough and love one another intensely enough that when we see somebody about to walk off the path, we need to say, wait, wait, hold it. Could we talk? I don't mean go over and bowl them over an elder has 
to be able to do this. It doesn't come overnight. <clears throat> it says, the task of all believers toward one another because they too should be full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. That's actually uh, from Romans fifteen fourteen. So now this is a point that we've heard several times as we've been going through these qualifications. The point is, and we've heard it repeatedly, and I'm repeating it on purpose, pastors after God's own heart must model the qualifications that Christ requires because Christ's people must learn to do the same. How can you say you love somebody when you see them about to have a train wreck and you say nothing? Well, go ahead. You know, it's like, like not my business. Go and ruin yourself. That is not love. Must be handled cautiously. Always, always giving and expending ourselves for our brethren. But you can't say you love somebody and assign them to their own self-destruction. So, all believers are going to be like Christ, as we've already said, and we're going to see Him as He is. We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him, our crucified, our resurrected Savior, as He is. There will be no filters to get in the way. We will see the king in his beauty. So, how does a pastor then rule his house well? If all of these things are actually connected, and they are, how does he do this? I will give you as simple an answer as I know how to give. That doesn't always fall into some people's definition of brief. I'm working on it. First of all, first of all, how should this man, how should this man rule his house well? Every father here, tune in. He loves, communes with, and obeys Christ in the call if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's first. Love and communion with Christ. <clears throat> and learning how to walk under a cross. Let me tell you, sometimes that is an exceptionally painful place to be, but Christ is always right there with you. Never forget that he stumbled under his cross. He knows what it's like for us to struggle. Number two, he loves his wife, even as Christ also loved the church. That's not way down on the list. Christ loving the church is the heart and soul of the Bible. So a self-denying love, he loves his wife, Self and sacrificing. When a husband does that, when a man does this in his house, it affects everybody. Everybody. If he doesn't do it, the neglect of it affects everybody. Number three, by faith in Christ, he tries not to provoke his children to wrath, but to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, he sweetens all of this, just three things. He sweetens all of this with daily communion with the Lord. Daily family worship. And weekly worship with God's people. You want to love your children? Do that. If you don't know how to walk with Christ, what do you expect from them? Oh, we'll take them to the church and the preacher will tell them. Well, he'll do everything he had to tell them, but they don't live with me. They need to see you hearing Jesus' word and then living it at the house when we're not together. 
Other than that, it's not long before children's radar goes, oh, wow, I'm old enough to know that dad is a hypocrite now. Didn't know the word when I was four. Now I'm seeing it. The way he talks to mom, the way he talks to everybody in the house, the way he does this, the way that he hears what he's supposed to do, but he doesn't do it. I can't get away with that. All right. <clears throat> he sweetens all of it with daily communion with Christ Jesus. Daily family worship and weekly worship with God's people. If he's not a man of prayer and the word, he is neither ruling his house well, nor is he a fit candidate for ruling God's people. We see it? Well, he's got a great gift of gab. Mm, keep him out of the pulpit. If his house doesn't reflect the glory and the beauty of Christ. It's not perfect. It never will be perfect. There will be failures that will be falling right on your face when you intended to do nothing but good. So, well, what do you do about imperfect dad, an imperfect husband? How do you deal with all that? There's a word in the Bible that always gets things back in gear. Repentance. When dad fails, he needs to repent. Looking unto Jesus. That will teach your children some great things. When they hear you sit down and say, children, you heard the way I was talking to mom a while ago. It was sin. And I've asked her to forgive me. I've asked the Lord to forgive me. I'm asking you to forgive me because I've just set an example of wickedness and destruction of your own marriage in your heart. Dad repents. Things change. Amen. That's just the way it is. Our pride usually gets in the way. They had it coming. Right? Well, when they have something coming, handle it correctly. The best you can. We all fail. Beginning behind the pulpit. So if he's not a man of prayer, if he's not a man of the word, he's not going to be able to rule his house right. He can tell everybody to do. He can outbark everybody. But he's not a fit candidate for ruling God's people. Oh, but that boy can preach. That's fine. Let him preach. But he's not an elder. Okay. So we're at that time. Well, part two next week. I'm not going to stretch this out. <clears throat> and we didn't even get to the controversial part. For those of you that were thinking all of this was controversial, we haven't gotten to the, the heavy part yet. But God's word is controversial because it's the truth. And we live in a world of lies. We live in a world of demonic, satanic lies. And our, our churches, the internet, television, is full of religion that's utterly confusing and doesn't convert any soul. That's only by the truth. Preaching the truth, the glories of Christ Jesus. Next time we will begin with Titus, God willing. But let me, let me end by saying, <clears throat> whenever I don't finish a message, a lot of times we didn't get to the part that I was wanting to get to in a hurry. You need to understand, I need to understand, as long as we are in this world, everybody's not going to agree with our convictions. Everybody is not going to live exactly the same way we do. Everybody is going to have to examine himself by the word of God. And then, are you ready? You're commanded to love your brethren. It isn't, oh, I love you, if Jesus loves them. You cannot put yourself outside that circle. Well, then I'll just have to conclude that they're not Christians. Well, that's up to you, and the day of judgment will show whether you were thinking straight or not. Right? 
Brethren, we are called to a real life. A real life. There are people that couldn't even tell you they've been Christians for years that they couldn't find Habakkuk if you held a gun on them. And I mean, I'll tell you, and those that believe in the doctrines of grace, I want to walk really carefully here, but I'm walking. And I want you to understand, very often, the way the Christian life is presented, it's almost completely lawless. I'm saved by grace, and therefore, you know, living like the world and doing this and that and the other, this is no big problem. It's a problem because you're on your way to hell. That's a very big problem. True grace opens the heart. It opens the heart. Like Lydia, who was listening to Paul, and what happened is like she's sitting there, and she's astounded. She believes what that Jew who just came in or just joined them at the river has said. And she believes all that about Jesus. Why? The scriptures are plain. The Lord opened her heart. You can talk people into religious practices, but none of us can open anyone's heart. None. If your heart's been opened, that heart wants Christ. It's just the way it is. It wants Christ more than it wants the stuff of the world. Amen. Plain and simple. <clears throat> we just have to get lots of commentaries and do lots of studies so we can still live like the world and think we're going to heaven. Jesus changes people. So if he has changed a man, and that man all of a sudden realized, and I can tell you, when the Lord opened my heart, one of the very first things that hit me was as I'm reading the scriptures was, you don't know how to be a husband. And then another one ran up right behind it. You don't know how to be a dad. I left the business I was in. I came home, and I looked at them all, and it was like, I don't know how to do any of this, Lord. You better show me. And he did. You're hearing the fruits of it. You've got to have a new heart. You've got to be filled with the Spirit. You've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to walk with Him. But don't say in your view of grace that it's anything different than Titus 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. When you find men that have been transformed like that and they start moving in their home and saying, okay, I need to do this regarding my wife. I need to do this regarding my children. I know how to do all these things. Help. You pray and you cry out to God. He shows you. What's happening? He's ordering your house with the word of God. It's exactly what he's doing. Because Jesus is faithful in his house. Right? So this is it. On one hand, it's as simple as can be. If you're transformed... If you've been born again, there's something in you. Oh, it might be the smallest little flickering flame right now, even for a couple of years. Might. But you want your life and then your house ordered by the word of God. And when you find a man that do that and has the grace of God to preach and teach God's word, that's a man to help get into the pulpit. Does this make sense? We're looking for somebody who's been transformed and his family shows it. That being the case, brethren, the head of the church wants us with a biblical radar up and looking uh, for the kind of man that can labor here and feed the sheep, protect them, encourage them, build them up in the faith. One who knows and loves the gospel, preaches it often and wants to walk a holy life and wants you to walk it with him. Amen. Amen. Jesus, we thank thee for thy goodness and grace. We are nothing. We are just nothing without thee. We can do nothing without thee. Oh, Jesus, how I thank thee that thou dost truly save.
fools, sinners, self-worshippers, even religious people. And I ask thee, come, bring thy power, bring, bring thy grace, bring all of that to bear on the hearts of those that are here. And may thy children resound with what thou art saying. And may the lost come fleeing to thee and trusting thee to save them. And may we all love thee and one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, brethren, please stand with me.